Hey guys, welcome back to the OPD podcast. We're at episode number 50. It's a bit of a milestone for me and Austin. So yeah, as usual, we've got me and Mr. Austin Stout on the line, your hosts. And we have a special guest in Lewis Wong today. So um, Lewis, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to everybody. Let us know who you are stuff like that. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, uh, hello everyone. Yeah, I'm Lewis. Um, first of all, thank you, Joe, for... Uh, letting me join you on your your podcast your 50th one um but yeah a little bit about me um yeah i uh, i'm an online coach that's um what i do on the side as a as a business um i was a former research scientist in the lab doing various different um research for different therapy areas so cancer research cardiovascular disease research, neuroscience, and um, now I've transitioned into a field called healthcare communications. So it's basically marketing and advertising for the pharmaceutical industry, essentially. And uh, that's what I do in a nutshell. Very cool. That's good stuff, man. Yeah, you, you gave us your backgrounds was pretty extensive. Um, how, how are you, what about in this field? Because Joe said you're pretty active in a lot of groups. Do you actually coach individuals or is it more so just the research side? Um, yeah, I've got, I've got clients. Um, not, not so many recently because I've had to downsize because of the workload of my other job. But yeah, I've got, I've got clients that I actively coach, um, but also do a fair bit of consulting, um should i say you know for professional athletes who wish to make weights for specific events but um but yeah i, I do i do a bit of everything essentially Sweet. yeah absolutely um so i'm looking at i'm looking at the topics and stuff that you sent and joe and i had talked about uh potentially going over the gyno topic we have actually we haven't talked about that gyno hardly at all on the show, surprisingly, a little bit. Um, and then there's a couple other ones. I saw you mention Proviron for PCT. That might be a good one as well. So let's, uh, right, let's see. Yeah, let's go ahead and go into, you mentioned specifically Letro or Letrozole for gyno, um, which I assume you had some talking points there. So you can go ahead and... Uh, kick it off if you'd like. <clears throat> you um, this on, sorry, I'm going to butt in here, but I'm sure that you've seen it as well. You, you, you probably put this through as a discussion point because you see it recommended so often. Yeah. Um, when I gave you the list of topics, that's not necessarily what I believe in. It's just, yes. you know, just topics to talk about essentially. So, so yeah, yeah. Right. I noticed it seems to be the go-to on the sort of social media block. Yeah. Okay, so here's a better way to put it out there instead of because what Joe and I have talked about, like I said, it's not and not extensively up to this point, but instead of just simply crushing estradiol to control gyno, we could talk about other methods. Mm, of course. Yeah. Right. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's really the goal instead of, because commonly you hear the, the only thing people are recommending are aromatase inhibitors at higher doses. Yeah, um, yeah, we see Letro being thrown around a lot when it comes to talking about gyno. But um, first of all, um, before we carry on further, I'd just like to make a little disclaimer. So, yeah, everything I say shouldn't be taken as primary medical advice. And I do advise everyone to, you know, um, you know use everything with caution and always consult your primary care physician whether it's your gp or your cardiologist and um yeah just try and always do things with your health as the first point of interest and um yeah we can carry on talking this podcast just got a bit too professional for me now. <laughs> <laughs> i kind of have to do that because of you know my line of work yeah we we probably should yeah we probably <clears> should have that like recorded I might just take that off you, Lewis, and uh, an input in the uh, podcast from here on out. 
Yeah, just uh, just have a disclaimer at the start. You know, just say, you know, make a disclaimer and say everything you say on this podcast uh, should not be taken as primary advice, and it should be used at their own own caution. I mean, just like sports, really. Like, who who decides to bench five plates aside? The person who benches decides on that. You know, so if they hurt themselves, it's initially their fault, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> but um, yeah. So uh, do you guys want to? Um, pick something like specific thing about aromatasing inhibitors or any myths you want to talk about? Cause I, I could ramble on for days, literally. Anything. I think our, our frequent visit uh, uh, listeners probably know mine and Austin, because I find that we kind of agree on how to sort of set up a stack design uh, among anabolics and sort of clients or users that have sort of estrogenic issues, whether it be sort of balancing out the ratio of your androgen to estrogen components of the stack or, you know, via reducing the aromatizing amount or something. But neither of us really like to use AIs. I mean, the only time I use AIs in clients, honestly, and even in the past year, I can't think of many cases that I've done this, is close to a show for cosmetic effect. I never use them as a kind of um solid uh part of any stack i usually just alter the stack so the client's not suffering estrogenic symptoms i imagine austin does the same um so lewis why don't you tell us kind of where you would approach someone that's suffering estrogenic issues on their, their current stack uh yeah sure um all right say like someone is having estrogenic issues um depends to what extent whether it's just water retention or you know to which would be towards the lesser scale um i guess towards the more extreme scale where it's beyond just water retention and it's starting to affect their mood and starting to affect them physically and by that i mean you know the development of uh, gynecomastia um i guess first point of call would be to just ask the question really like why why are the estrogen levels so high? Why are the estrogen levels high? Why, what is causing it? <clears throat> is it because, you know, the person's susceptible to these issues? Or is it because of the dose? Or is it because of, um, you know, the combination of, you know, compounds that they're using? So I think most importantly, a, a really well-planned out um, PED uh, protocol is important. Um, given that, so, you know, less drugs the better. Um, avoid using an aromatase inhibitor if, if possible. And to do that, I guess you would have to be smart with your dosages and not, you know, use a dose that, you know, is going to cause you estrogenic side effects, you know, that's going to cause problems like the ones I've discussed. Um, so yeah, I guess don't abuse these compounds. They're very powerful compounds, as you guys um, would hopefully, I think, would agree as well. Um, but if you do have high levels, there are things you can do about it. And it seems most people like to use Lectra. I don't know why, but I also kind of understand why, because it's one of the strongest, most potent aromatase inhibitors. Not only does Lectra reduced estradiol it also reduces the other isoforms so not just e2 you know e1 e3 estrone and you know uh yeah it depletes circulating levels of estrogen which are the levels that are in your blood but it also depletes the levels that are in your tissues as well and we know this um simply by you know people who do use it they report what mental uh, effects you know brain fog bone bone pain or um yeah crushed libido just from that alone will tell you that you know it's not just affecting your circulating levels in your blood it's affecting you know the levels in your in your bones we know estrogen is very important for bone biology for bone turnover bone strength you know we see what happens in postmenopausal women who have low levels of estrogen, they develop osteoporosis. And um, yeah, that's just as a result of low estrogen levels. And I guess that itself could have further downstream effects on your training, your performance, because if your bone, bones aren't you know, recovering, if your bone health is not optimal, then overall it's going to contribute to your, your performance output. 
um, in terms of you know the mood um, you know no one wants to feel shitty um, regardless of what you're doing whether it's training your daily life um, and yeah libido we hear people get crushed libido off this lecture I mean that itself is enough to put anyone put me off personally um, but yeah, anyways, I've rambled on enough about side effects. Um, I guess first line of action would be to figure out the right dose for you. And even if you do have to use a certain dose that will result in elevated estrogen levels, then uh, maybe have two um, points of action. You know, consider using a serum as well, not you know, not just an aromatase inhibitor because we know with SERMs, they will bind selectively to certain sites that you want them to bind. For example, tamoxifen will bind to the breast tissue level. <clears throat> so, you know, just by using a SERM, you're blocking the estrogenic effects at the breast level, which is good in males. You don't want that. At the same time, you're not depleting, um, you know, the circulating levels, you know, the levels that are required for other functions that I've mentioned. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that you know a, a good choice of serum at a correct dose and a good choice of aromatase inhibitor at the correct dose. So you know we've got letrozole, anastrozole, exemestane, i.e. aromacin, and um, I think the AI should be used sparingly, and I think this should be used in conjunction with blood work at all times. Because it's all good and well saying, you know, 2.5 milligrams of letrozole, but 2.5 milligrams is not going to be the same, you know, for, for example, you, Joe, or you, Austin, you know, it's, it all, it's all dependent on your baseline. It's all dependent on your current levels. And I think, you know, the correct AI, you know, or estrogenic uh, protocol should be tailored around the person. And um, yeah, that's, that's my opinion, essentially. I guess we can talk more into the specifics, but uh, yeah, that's, that's me so far. That's my take on it. All right, just a couple of things on that. I'll just, I'll just sort of pick your brain on, on what you like to do. So lastly, you mentioned blood work there. So I'm guessing that you're sort of actively looking into your client's blood work. Um, do you follow any kind of reference ranges of where you went there, E2, or other isoforms of estrogen, <coughs> estrogen E1, etc.? Do you try and put them into a certain range in reference to where maybe their testosterone is? Or are you just looking at their kind of biofeedback on side effects and then adjusting accordingly to that? Or do you go by the numbers? Um, I guess both. I guess I go by the numbers, you know, what the data is telling me, but also what the person is telling me. Because at the end of the day, you know, blood work, it's just a readout. It's just a measurement of that given time point at that given moment of that amount of blood being drawn at the time. It doesn't give you like a, you know, a full picture of the person's well-being. And, you know, moving on from that, for example, you could have someone with estrogen levels that are, you know, slightly above, you know, reference ranges. And I'll go back and I'll come back later to reference ranges. But um, yeah, you might have someone who's slightly elevated, but they're not having the mood issues. Maybe they're not having, you know, the other symptoms that we often see with high estrogen. So, you know, if the person's okay, you know, should they, you know, I guess the question that I would ask is, does this person need their levels to be brought back down within a certain range if they're okay? Um, I guess from a person's well-being perspective, then perhaps not. But, you know, maybe long-term, you know, exposure at these slightly elevated levels, this might gradually develop into accumulative estrogenic side effects. Like it might start the gynecomastia process very slowly. They might not experience anything initially because it's not too high. But I guess long-term, maybe, we don't know. The studies haven't been done. But going back to blood work, um, what are reference ranges? You know, one person's high could be another person's low. Everybody's different. We metabolize hormones differently, and this is partly due to our genetics. You know, one person might have higher levels of uh, gene expression for the aromatase enzyme. 
So that theoretically would translate into, you know, greater rates of, um, you know, uh, aromatization. So for me, I would like, you know, I always like to get a baseline. I like to see where their body is at when they're not on anything or after they've, you know, cruised and, you know, taken a break from all, you know, uh, performance enhancing drugs, just to, just to paint a picture, you know, a baseline picture, you know, before there are any ripples, you know, in the water, when it's all still. And then to assess, you know, how, you know, I go about it, I guess, you know, add, maybe add in one compound, see how they respond, check their estrogen levels, check their testosterone levels, um, because, you know, it's all going well, blasting on a load of compounds and just seeing blood work, you know, go up and down. You don't know what's causing what, you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess I like to take a two you know, a multi-directional approach. So, you know, monitor the feedback, get a baseline, see how they respond over time. And to do this, um, you need regular blood work, you know, monthly, bi-monthly. Um, this isn't always possible because it can cost, you know, quite a bit if you're doing it through Medi-Checks or privately. And your doctors aren't always, you know, okay. You know, they don't always want to order blood tests because they'll be like, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't need it. So I guess getting around that is an issue as well. But in an ideal scenario, constant blood work, constant feedback from the client, you know, understanding how they're doing with their progression, their performance, you know, ask them how they're doing. And just, uh, yeah, just, it just gives you a better idea of the client. And then once you understand them and understand how they respond, you can then figure out the most effective strategies essentially to, um, you know, optimize their protocols and that i guess that would be my answer joe so yeah sorry for rambling on i do that a lot no yeah right because um i mean reference ranges in estrogen something that's all i've always kind of bothered on it in the enhanced world because i never really understood like why you would necessarily aim to put your estrogen within the physiological range when your androgens are in the super physiological range you know, people put their testosterone 20 times the physiological limit and then are scared to have their estrogen 20 times the physiological limit but i mean in terms of a androgen to estrogen ratio i mean that's not necessarily something that i fear in a client as long as they're not suffering side effects and also i mean another question for you then is we estrogen has many like hypertrophic and lipolytic benefits Let's say a client was suffering some estrogenic side effects, but you didn't want to limit the myotropic benefits of their estrogen being where it is, for example. Is there any other way that you'd ameliorate the effects by using something like a non-aromatizing androgen added to the stack instead of employing something to pull down the serum estrogen? Um, <clears throat> I guess it's a tricky... You know that's something that me and Austin do very frequently. So yeah. Well, I should say too, to add to that, I think to add to that too, is sometimes that, sometimes that doesn't necessarily work. It does something like, you know, we talked about mascaron, but if that doesn't work, I think instead of having to lower the total milligrams of the stack, it is very easy to just manipulate the aromatizing compounds and just replace those with a non-aromatizing compound. I mean, that's, you, you are lowering, effectively lowering estradiol, but I think people fear that they're like, oh, you know, I'm having estrogenic side effects. I either they don't want to take an AI that they have to stop taking, you know, whatever, whatever it is they're taking. But it is it is too difficult to really just manipulate the ratio of the stack, and you can normally, uh, you know, you can normally solve the problem one way or another. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean. Definitely, you know, stack, you know, protocol design is very, very important. You know, I think everyone should, you know, think and, you know, design their stack around their needs and how they respond. For example, you know, take someone who who's very sensitive to estrogenic side effects. You know, you wouldn't want to put them on a, you know, protocol of high testosterone, EQ, DECA, Dianabol, uh, for example. You know, they're just going to be a big aromatizing factory, you know. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I do, um, I do highly believe in smart 
you know, decision making when it comes to choosing your your compounds. Um, you know, I've got my opinions, and um, you know, these days I think you know having you know a suitable level of testosterone that you know gives you all the normal physiological benefits of testosterone, you know, dihydrotestosterone, and also um, estrogen. You know, while you know combining this conjunctively with you know things like you know masteron you know primo you know anavar you know winstrol you know you're gonna save yourself a lot of headache when it comes to estrogenic side effects because you don't even need to worry about it as much you know compared to if you were to you know use compounds that aromatize heavily and i think you can just you i think you know one can perform just as well you know, beyond their physiological limits, you know, with non-aromatizing compounds um, compared to aromatizing compounds. And that's my, my take on it, really. So um, I guess I would avoid using things that convert um, if I had a choice. And I guess this depends on availability and, and whatnot. But um, not, not taking away from the fact that, you know, these compounds that do aromatize not i'm not saying that they aren't effective some of them are very very powerful um then we've also got you know the nor 19 such as trembolone and oh god don't even get me started on that 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 is another discussion in itself it's uh, so you know it's androgen but it doesn't convert to estrogen yet it like it causes estrogenic and pro, you know progesterone like activity and partly why is because it binds so strongly to the androgen steroid receptor it also partly interacts you know strongly with the other steroid receptors i.e estrogen and progesterone receptors and even you know the glucocorticoid receptors and uh, you know there's research to show that it can modulate you know cortisol output as well so yeah trembolone is another another thing to discuss um you know so yeah lots, lots to talk about i guess we have you know, what so, go ahead joe so good. I was going to say what's what's funny. I'm sure you guys find this too. Is you we're, before we get too far away from the reference ranges, is that I see it all the time that people don't have any side effects. They don't mention anything in biofeedback. But as soon as they, which I'm all for blood work. I think Lewis, your recommendation is great as long as it's plausible financially. But they, as soon as they see that their estrogen or their you know estradiol is out of range, they then they are uh, they amazingly start having side effects do you guys ever notice that oh yeah yeah i guess i guess they need to chill out sometimes because at the end of the day they need to remember they are taking super physiological doses of androgens what do you think is going to happen to your other health markers do you think they're going to stay the same you know well, it's I mean, no. of course you take you take yeah and i mean of course it's uh ratio and there i've seen some different ratios floating around on aromatization you know aromatization but obviously that's kind of a crapshoot because everyone aromatizes differently at different rates but yeah i mean your estrogen's not going to be uh you know 30 when your testosterone's 10,000 yeah. yeah true I mean, you know you know so and i know you guys have different i'm i'm talking like nanograms per deciliter but i know you guys measure differently 10,000 there would be quite a, quite a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, we we had Broderick Chavez on here before. I don't know if you know Broderick Lewis. Um, uh, no, I might have I might have uh, listened to the podcast where he spoke, you know, talked on, but uh, no, I don't I don't can't match the name to a he's, face. He's um, or a voice. He's a really cool guy. Um, he he, I think he put it really well. He where he said like, estrogen is brilliant until it isn't. And I think that was, yeah. that's the best way I can possibly think, yeah. of it, you know, it is, it's, uh, it does. It has, I posted a study about, um, actually about cardiovascular health too. And, and estrogen, cause I posted all kinds like fat loss and Joe and I have talked about that muscle, you know, hypertrophy. Um, my doctor randomly, he randomly sends me studies one time and he sent me one about, um, you know, talked about all the loss in bone density and uh, increased in cardiovascular events in men with uh, chronically low estrogen. So, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many things that people, they kind of joke about uh, burying their estrogen every once in a while, you know, overusing AIs, but I mean, it's not a, it's not a good thing. And there's people that have a very hard time bouncing back from those things. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, every hormone in the body plays a role biologically and, you know, it, it's going to cause side effects, you know, if it's too low. It is going to cause side effects if it's too high. And I think, you know, just finding an optimum range is what's important. But, you know, I guess the million-dollar question would be what's the, what's the best range? You know, we don't really know because we don't have the studies. And so I guess a lot of it is trial and error and anecdotal. And it seems like, it seems like with most other things, it's, you know, we, we try to maintain homeostasis, and that's every mechanism in our body is designed that way. So letting as much as we can, letting ourselves aromatize as our body wants to seems normally the quote-unquote healthiest way to an extent till obviously unless there's side of extreme side effects or something like you had mentioned but um but yeah I'm, I'm i'd normally like i said lean towards as joe mentioned just letting people aromatize normally to whatever extent and uh trying to manipulate the compounds more so than just lowering estrogen mm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, that is one of the, you know, more, you know, better approaches, um, so to speak. And also, like you said, homeostasis, when the body is out of homeostasis, it will try its hardest to regulate that, you know, our body, it's what our body does, it, it regulates things, you know, back and forth. I mean, <clears throat> I'll give you a pharmacological regulatory response for example in uh, breast cancer patients you know if you give them an aromatase inhibitor you know to block the aromatase enzyme you know what research has shown now it just shows that the body just upregulates gene expression for the aromatase enzyme so you know you're giving it a drug to block the aromatase enzyme in the body's like, okay, cool, we'll just make more of the enzyme by upregulating our gene expression. You know, like that itself just shows how you know smart and complex the body is. And um, yeah, the body will will respond to pretty much anything, high, low, whether it's pharmacological or or you know, endogenous. Yeah, yeah, that's why you can only you can only manipulate things so much. The more you can, the more you can work with your body. It's you know the better off you're going to be, especially when you're talking about hormones. Because I mean, everything works in a feedback loop somewhere. It's connected. Oh yeah. Okay, I think we pretty much like covered quite a lot of that there. Give people some things to think about on uh, their estrogen control. Um, you guys. Roll into another topic. We talk. Oh, Lewis, you mentioned um, Proviron for post-cycle therapy. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, do you guys want to kick it off? Um, no, go ahead. I mean, I can just. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not really very knowledgeable on. Well, I know in the 2018 review of HPTA axes recovery and whatnot, but where they. They looked in, it was a review, and they basically looked at all the current literature on anabolic androgenic steroid use and HPTA recovery up to now. And, it, and the kind of gist was looking like PCP drug terms, AIs, HCG, HMG, you know, gonadotropin and whatnot, um, don't really have much efficacy for recovering HPTA function in the long term. It looked like it was just delayed <coughs> recovery that was going to happen. However, for fertility, there was efficacy there. Um, I'm kind of just speaking out my ass here because honestly, I'm not like a fan of PCT in general. Um, I have um, I, never PCT in my life. Um, and um, so it's not really my um, wheelhouse, so to speak. So I'll let you guys take this one here. Austin, what do you think? Well, I'm on prescribed hormone replacement so i'll never pct yeah but. <laughs> i was prescribed before i ever used anything yeah just in general um i tend to lean towards joe's side of things just and this is and this is just anecdotally what i've noticed is while pct i i feel does work and some people have properly set up 
it seems to work less and less each time they do it, you know, and that it, it seems to be totally individual. I mean, I know there's people that have used PEDs for 20 years and they PCT and they come off and they have a somewhat normal test, but you know, if somebody recovers, they might recover 90% the next time, 70% and then 50, and then they end up being hypogonadal after a few well, exactly and i mean when i'm weighing this up here and i'm thinking about somebody that uses steroids recreationally or for competitive endeavors they're not just doing one cycle are they no matter how many times somebody says to you i just want to do one cycle you know it, it never happens so what they're essentially doing is is halting hpta function for that period of time three or four months or whatever and then they're putting themselves physiologically through this nasty state and using drugs that are deleterious to their health like ais which have some nasty effects you know lipid wise bone demineralization etc etc and then just to wait another you know six to twelve weeks and then shut down the hbta function again just to do it all over again you know when you weigh up that risk to reward ratio of just running like whatever a true testosterone replacement therapy dose them would be maybe you know between 500 and 700 nanograms per deciliter or a little bit higher um for me i would weigh on the side of cruising on the trt dose if i'm more focused on health and i'd rather see hormone use as a decision as a, as a lifelong decision because i feel like inevitably it ends up there anyway for everybody you know yeah eventually yeah yeah, I mean, um, you know, women go through menopause when they hit a certain age. Men go through andropause, you know. Our, you know, endocrine system does, you know, does have, you know, does get affected with age. And we've, we've got the studies to show that, you know, with age, testosterone levels, you know, do decline. And I guess some males, it declines quicker than other males i guess that would be genetic and also lifestyle factors as well but um <clears throat> in terms of pct it, it is a hormonal roller coaster you know you're going from super super physiological levels you know and then going to you know cold turkey no more exogenous and then you're trying to kickstart your endogenous production again yeah that it's that mechanistically is um, not going to be easy if you look at you know how the HPTA is regulated <clears throat> but I think if, if one was to PCT one would essentially have to make sure they PCT properly you know don't you know it's not just about running a little bit of Clomid a little bit of HCG you know do a proper laid out planned and structured PCT, just like you would plan your, you know, you know, PD, you know, protocols. You've got to plan your PCT as well. You know, you've got to think of all the factors. For example, some of my clients, I would advise, you know, using something like, you know, exomestane, i.e., aromacin, because throughout throughout that period of, you know, that hormonal roller coaster. Say, like, if you are using HCG, HCG will, you know induce the production of um you know free t you know esterless testosterone which we you know testosterone without an ester from the testes and that will that is going to aromatize and we know that if the estrogen levels are too high that itself can shut down the hpta so it would make sense to use something like aromacin to keep the estrogen levels within range during PCT so that it does not, you don't end up, you know, shooting yourself in the foot again, thinking, oh, you're trying to recover yourself, but really the, the, the HCG is shutting you down because of the elevated estrogen levels. So yeah, I think blood work would uh, be very important. You've got to test your FSH, LH, estrogen, testosterone, you know, if you can, before PCT, during PCT, after as well, given after giving enough time for the compounds to clear the system. You know, I've seen people do blood work, <clears throat> I don't know, a few days after PCT. Yeah, sure, it looks great in that because, you know, the drugs are still in your system. Things like Novodex and Clomid, they've got a pretty long half-life. Um, so, yeah, it's going to look like you're, you've recovered. Give it a few months, you know, you start feeling shitty, you start 
having uh, you know issues relating to low testosterone and i guess that if you were to do bloods then it would probably suggest hpta is still shut down or it's not fully recovered yet but i guess i i'm kind of on the fence whether you know one should pct or just stay on i guess that is an individual uh decision at the same time yeah testosterone levels do decline with age which should be factored in and we all know the side effects of having low testosterone in you know these low testosterone men you know it's it's not it's not good on their health you know on their health risks um but yeah i guess it's uh it's all a personal decision i suppose yeah yeah you can't you definitely don't want to force these things on anyone it's kind of like anything related that's anything pd related for that matter i mean it's really should be personal decision you can just do your best to kind of give them both sides of the coin and help from there so yeah definitely for me i will always advise i was always i will always educate them on the benefits and always the side effects and i let them make the decision i let them make their own informed decision and only then I will advise and suggest the best ways of going about it um, because that's their choice. They've already made that decision. I would rather that than someone, you know, unknowingly going into something where they don't have a clue about and then, you know, potentially harming themselves. And then I would feel bad because I would, you know, I would be like, oh, I could have helped this person make better decisions. You know, they could have used things better and whatnot. So I guess... Yeah, it's all individual, really. Right. So um, why don't we close on um, how we came to meet each other, Lewis? Because I want the funny... The funny <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the story. I don't know the whole story. I've only heard oh, bits of God. it. Uh, yeah, I guess most people don't know the story. They know, they've seen our interactions online, and that's all they know. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, I had a friend who was in Gain Station, and um, at the time, I think you were posting a lot on uh, Nandrolone, lots of studies on Nandrolone. And um, I guess I there was some sort of debate. And you know, I thought it was in, um, what was that group called? Jasmine, what was that group called that you used to go on on Facebook? That's the one, yeah. I thought it was in that Jim Outcast group. Uh, I remember it very clearly. It was, it was Gain Station, you were posting... Nandrolone studies and uh, obviously at the time you know do you remember the decker only craze i don't know if it's still a craze right now it is as um, in people in um the enhanced athlete groups they they love the the decker the decker base yeah so i guess at the time there was a big discussion about in gains and you know obviously people are entitled to having their own opinion whether it's pro decker only or against i had the i had someone that i knew i know knew he said oh, can you uh, come come join this conversation and uh, give your own, own opinion uh, this guy called joe jeffrey is quite feels quite strongly at the time i can't remember what your opinion was at the time but so yeah i, I was like, all right fine just invite me I'll, I'll leave after that um so yeah i joined gain station read the read read the comments um at, at the time i guess I had my own informed opinion. I, you know, I, I do love my science. I do feel very strongly. And I guess I wasn't as receptive. I wasn't as open to different opinions as I am now. So I just thought, you know what, this guy called Joe Jeffrey's wrong. I'm just going to go in ham and just uh, give my opinion and leave. Um, I guess I did that. Um, so, yeah, there was a bit of uh, controversial response um and then i was about to leave and then i think the owner of gain station um just messaged me as oh I, I i like i like what you did there do you want to be an admin so i was like um hey, see you owe me you owe me a bit there <laughs> i know i know it's uh yeah it's because of all right guys listen right it's because of joe jeffrey that uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm, i stayed in gain station and i'm an admin in gain station well, i'm just calculating the uh, the commission of clients that <laughs> yeah <you're> <laughs> So yeah, I just stayed and um, I saw, you know, other people continue to post more, you know, scientific debates and I saw you, uh, you know, posting more and I guess, you know, I, you know, 
enjoyed it a bit too much. You know, it's easy to be a keyboard warrior. Everyone likes being a keyboard warrior at times. And I guess I enjoyed it a bit too much. And uh, every opportunity I had to debate with Joe Jeffrey, I just thought, yeah, I'll just take it to another level. Um, every but then, time I'd post anything, I'd get like, I'd see like Lewis <laughs> comment on your post. I'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I look back at it now and I think, if I was you, I'd just think, fuck's sake, not this fuck, not this guy again. Like, oh, I have to read what he said. I've got to reply to it now. Oh, I bet I've like completely misinterpreted this and now I'm going to get made to look like a fool, even though it's taken me about three hours to write. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm oh, it, took, it took me time to respond to you as well because, um, you know, you obviously read your research as well and your comments on, you know, aren't made up. You know, they come from somewhere. So I had to go back and go through the studies that you used and then read that and then be like, okay, this, so this is where he got this conclusion from. All right, I can now form my response. So to be honest, you encourage me to become better in the sense of reading the literature better and analyzing it and picking it apart. Yeah, I mean, even back then, I think I was fairly like new to trying to get into the science and and like unlike you like i'm i'm not educated so it took me a long time to learn to like read studies i think it's a skill to actually be able to read and interpret studies properly and i'm i'm getting better every day you know it's something that i practice but you know i definitely look back on things i've posted and think uh, i think i've misinterpreted that result or you know i definitely do that from time to time um there's nothing wrong with that um it happens in science all the time. I mean, look at the studies in 2000, 2000, and then you can compare some of the studies in 2018. You'll often have uh, the same researcher, you know, publish something in the year 2000, and then later on they'll publish something that contradicts them, their original um, hypothesis, because they'll, you know, they'll probably acknowledge and be, the, you know, say like, you know, yeah, they were wrong, but you know, they analyze their current theory and, you know, obviously methods evolve, you know, techniques develop and, you know, more data comes with age. And I guess, you know, opinions, conclusions, understandings do change with age. I mean, uh, look at um, thalidomide. I don't know if you guys have heard of thalidomide. It was used for morning sickness in women a while ago, a long time ago. But then, after a while, we started seeing birth defects with um, thalidomide use, and then it, it was no longer you know, used for morning sickness in women. So that, that itself, there was a shift in the understanding of the medical literature, and now there's another shift. Thalidomide is now used to treat multiple myeloma, and it's pretty effective. So you see how like, over time, understanding theories and the science it, it changes it evolves and uh, that's that's normal with time the more you read the more you learn yeah that's to be fair happening in like the physique world at the minute with the new volume studies i think oh god yeah it's some of it's ridiculous though because you can at a point i feel like they're just manipulating the controls you know to make things say something else like especially in the training research it's so hard to it's so hard to uh, factor in all the populations. Oh, for sure, because, I mean, look at the James Krieger bicep research recently, 45 sets, you know. I know yeah. that no one on this call can do 45 sets of biceps a week, you know, because yeah. after three, I'm, like, toasted. Like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> but to what I was going to say, to be fair, Lewis, Everybody hated Joe for a while, so don't feel bad. <laughs> I, told him, I told him right before the show started, I said, you know I'm the only one that stuck with you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, me. Pity, pity me. I'm, I'm used to it. Liked online. Still happens now. You see it in games, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things, things change, and that's normal. Things do change. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll even admit, you know, I used to be <clears throat> a bit uh, too proud of the science. You know, I used to be really proud of it. And I used to think, uh, you know, what do other people know? They haven't done the, re- they haven't been in the lab and stuff. I guess I took, I had to step away from that and realize that, you know what, we're living in the information age. You know, it's no longer a time where we had to go to uni to learn certain things, you know. 
things are on the internet. You know, if you want to, if you ask a question, you could just ask Google. You can find information anywhere these days. And as long as it's from a reliable source, credible source, you can learn pretty much um, anything you want, essentially. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I get asked that every day, like, oh, where's your PhD from? <clears throat> as a kind of call to authority thing. And I think Dr. Scott does a really good job of, like, he always says, when, when I listen to him on um, Muscle Minds with Scott McNally, I know he always says he hates people like referencing him as, as doctor or not asking him to support his view with any evidence or anything because, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything that he's a doctor, essentially, you know? And I think that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty... Um, yeah, I've... Um, <clears throat> I've, over the years, I've grown to think that way as well. I mean, from my past experience, I know people with, you know, PhDs and whatnot. And I'm just saying, how the hell did you get that? Well, you know, you're, you know, honestly, I've met, you know, I've come across people that I don't, you know, that I just don't know how they did it because you just wouldn't think that they have a degree or whatever. And I guess that just goes to show a degree doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it just shows that you've gone to uni, you've put in the time to pass the assessments, the exams to get awarded that qualification. But I think it's what you do with it, you know, what you do with the knowledge, what you do with the skills that's most important, how you apply yourself. Yeah. I do think yeah, if I back time, I probably would have, have studied, though. You know, by, by the time I found, like, fitness and, and a kind of love for the sort of science side of it, I already had bills and, you know, and I was already in life, you could say, you know, so it's kind of like not viable. But yeah. One day, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, especially in that level of education. I've thought about going back for master's or PhD because I have a bachelor's degree, but it's like, man, I don't know. I'm just so, like, I have no idea where I would ever even find the time at this point. But, but like you said, Lewis, I mean, I feel like if you have to be, you have to be intelligent enough to be receptive of the research. And like Joe said, knowing how to read studies and stuff like that, not just, you, you know, you said anyone can learn anything, but I, I don't think that's completely true. I think you have to be, you definitely have to build your way up. Like you can't just throw yourself into the deep end and expect to understand some of that research or, and then even if you do, just because you know how many of those people we have that re are fantastic at regurgitating stuff online, but they don't know dick all about how it applies to anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do agree with you in that sense. I mean, you can't just Google something and then expect to be a professor of whatever you Googled, you know, after an hour of reading, I think, yeah, you still need direction and mentoring in terms of, you know, education and development. And um, to do that, it's just, you know, it's not, you can just ask someone who's more knowledgeable and ask them, you know, Hey, I want to learn about this. Where can I start? What would you recommend? And, you know, pick yeah. people's brains, you know, learn from those more knowledgeable and ask questions, you know, be inquisitive and, uh, you know, knowledge itself only you know, stems from someone asking a question and then that person asking another question. So part of gaining knowledge is uh, about asking the right questions, the right people, um, from the right sources, of course. And, um, but yeah, I do agree. You know, you can't, you can't just learn anything straight off the bat. It does take time and dedication. Yeah. It's almost like akin to, although it's on like completely the opposite end, but like, you know, when person, somebody says like, you look like shit, so you, you can't coach someone or something, you know, it's the same kind of call to authority as such, you know? Same time, I've seen people who look great, who don't know shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's probably more common to be completely honest. Like I'm not saying I know a lot of good coaches that are pros or have great physiques, but I would say as a whole, that's just that general, that visual thing where people, they, they see someone and they automatically assume type of thing. Yeah. And you normally find that when someone looks worse, they're the kind of people that are more likely to like dig into finding out what can really you know, maximize your physique progress because they can't get it so easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's any, any sport. Like if I was an athlete, I would, 
I would probably rather be trained, you know, if I, if I played basketball, I'd probably rather be trained by the guy that's pretty good, but he, you know, it took him 10 years to get good rather than LeBron James. That was good, you know, forever. I don't know. I'm saying he could work hard. I have no, I have no clue, but you talent, you, you wouldn't know, want somebody to that's Ronnie Coleman, would you really? Right. Oh, right. I mean, yeah. there's a difference between like talent, you know, talent and skill. It's two different things. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, massive difference. You could be a super responder. You could respond well to nutrition training and whatever compounds you use. And I guess that person probably think, Oh, this will work in everyone. You know, everyone will respond the same, but, um, you know, that's not always the case. And I think people who don't respond as well are, you know, almost, uh, encouraged to try various different things to try and learn what works and what doesn't or what works more effectively because uh, not everyone is you know blessed with super responsive genes and uh, that's that's just nature that's just um, you know that's just humans for us well you know genetics play a massive role in um, in us yeah for sure yep right on that note Go guys on. i need to i need to disappear i need to go to bed um, okay good I'm going to call it an night here. So thank you so much, Lewis, for coming on. Please do come back. It's been really cool. Um, oh, no, thank you for um, inviting me and letting me ramble on. Um, I do apologize to your viewers that we didn't get to cover all the things we wanted to. I, as you can tell, I can ramble on for days about certain things, but uh, ho hopefully you didn't think it was nonsense rambling. <laughs> no. no, definitely come back on and we'll, um, we'll cover some more. Okay, right. Well, guys, thanks for listening. As always, please check out the sponsors in the show notes or the description box below. Also, all of our social media is going to be below. Hit up Lewis for your coaching or me or Austin, preferably me. And um, <laughs> <I'll>... <laughs> Yeah, hit up Joe and Austin. I'm too, I'm too busy, sorry. No, there you go. Cosign. And um, <laughs> all the game station commission. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll definitely. I'll definitely come back and we can uh, continue our discussion. Um, I'm sure there's loads of things we can talk about for next uh, next time, and I'm sure your listeners would be interested in, in that if if they found today somewhat uh, useful or interesting. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So yeah, guys, please do give your feedback if you want to ask Lewis any questions or inquire about anything. All his contact details are in the show notes below, so check them out. All right, cheers, guys. All right, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Austin. See ya. See ya, take care.